Greetings to all our brethren around the world, and welcome to our, our guests from uh, Western North Carolina and other places around the world. I'd like to say uh, saludos hermanos, and bonjour mesdames et messieurs, and bon pomeriggio, signore e signori. So uh, to all our brethren around the world, greetings, and uh, hopefully we can add more languages as time goes on. Uh, it is a privilege to be with our brethren all over the world uh, through this medium of television and video sermons around the world. And again, we uh, wish you all a very happy and inspiring Sabbath wherever you may be. Many years ago, 3,000 members of the Radio Church of God met in pa the Pasadena Civic Auditorium for Holy Day services. In the course of the services, Mr. Herbert Armstrong wheeled a woman in a wheelchair onto the stage. Who was this woman? It was Mr. Armstrong's 95-year-old mother. He wanted her to look out and see this audience of 3,000 members, and he wanted to pay her special honor. Well, God wants us to honor our parents as well. Let's turn to Luke, the second chapter. As a child, Jesus obeyed the fifth commandment. Luke, the second chapter, verse 51. Luke, chapter 2, and verse 51. Remember, he was back in the temple hearing the doctors and asking them questions, and his parents assumed that he was with other family and discovered, well, he was still in the temple, and he said, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Verse 49, Luke, the second chapter. And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. They went down with them and came to Nazareth, and notice, he was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. So even at 12 years of age and beyond, Jesus was subject to them. How was he subject to them? He obviously obeyed them. He loved them. He served them and submitted himself to them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, some societies and cultures demonstrate respect for the elderly. In the United States years ago, on a crowded bus or on a railroad car, uh, men would get up from their seat to give an elderly woman their own seat. That doesn't happen so much these days. I remember... Uh, traveling in uh, Italy. We were tr flying actually after the feast from uh, Rome, actually Milan to Rome, and it was late at night. We had my mother-in-law, uh, Grandma Meredith, with us, and the Italians really respect elderly people, and they took very good care of her when the plane was very, very crowded, but the stewardess and others just were very gentle and caring, made sure that she was comfortable and had a seat. In the Western world, we try to honor our parents by having the cultural tradition of Mother's Day, which is always the second Sunday in May in the United States and Canada and Mexico. It's uh, on Thursday, May 10th of this year. And Father's Day in the United States is normally the third Sunday in June. Uh, Mother's Day is the normally the highest volume of phone calls in the United States. Uh, an AT&T survey estimated that 122.5 million phone calls to mom are made on Mother's Day. Other Mother's Day findings reveal that 11% never call their mothers 
and 3% of the 68% planning to ring mom up called her collect. 3%. Uh, Now, nearly everyone reports warm feelings about their mother. 87% of adult children say they feel close to, rather than distant from, 11% mom. Just 74% say they feel close to dad. And that disparity may explain why, according to AT&T, Father's Day is the heaviest day of the year for collect calling. (laughs) And that is from the Pew Research Center, May 9, 2006. Let's turn to James, the first chapter. James, the first chapter. But the interesting phenomenon is, is that since telephone technology has improved, that children often call their parents more frequently, not just on Mother's Day. The percentage of adults who seek and talk with a parent every day in 2005 was 42% compared to 1989, 32%. And again, that's from the Pew Research Center. James 1 and verse 22. Be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Then he talks about the perfect law of liberty. And then true and pure religion, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless or the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So God wants us to practice a religion of caring for the fatherless, the orphans, and the widows. There are many one-parent families in the world, and while the two-parent family is ideal, 25% of all families with dependent children are lone parent families. That's in the United Kingdom in 2005, and only 9% of those single-parent families are men. 48% of children, that is in the UK, in lone parent households are below the poverty line compared with 20% of children in couple families. So there are many one-parent families. In the United States, one in four, uh, I'm sorry, this is in the UK, one in four are in lone parent families. Uh, In the United States, according to Families and Living Arrangements 2006, There were 12.9 million one-parent families in 2006, 10.4 million single-mother families, 10.4 million single-mother families, and 2.5 million single-father families. And to get the perspective on the changing family demographics, average household size in 2006 was 2.57 people, down from 3.14 in 1970. Again, in the United States, slightly more than one in four households, 26% consisted of a family of a person living alone in 2006, up from 17% in 1970. Now, are the families staying together? Are parents teaching their children to honor their parents? Are they abiding by the fifth commandment? Are we teaching our children the fifth commandment? Families are breaking apart. And in the United States, one in seven kids between the age of 10 and 18 will run away at some point. Uh, Dr. Meredith talked about his desire to join the Marines as a young man. 
How old were you then? 14 years of age. I think I was probably about 11 when I tried to run away from home. I got halfway down the block and wondered, where am I going? <laughs> and, uh, I turned around and found the door locked. My parents were going to teach me a lesson. And uh, it, they taught me a lesson all right. There are one, in, one million to three million runaway and homeless kids living on streets in the United States. So they're homeless when they run away. Many are homeless. In 1999, an estimated 1.6 million youths had a runaway or thrown away episode. Of these, 37% were missing from their caretakers. 21% uh, were reported to authorities for purposes of locating them. And there are statistics in Canada, uh, 51,280 ran away in 2005, of those that might be duplicated in the United Kingdom. 11% of children in the UK run away from home or are forced to leave and stay away overnight or on one or more occasion before the age of 16. It is estimated that 100,000 young people run away each year in the UK. What are some of the factors involved, characteristics, and this is from... NISMART, uh, that is characteristics of those who run away, and national incident studies of missing, uh, abducted, runaway, and throwaway children. That's N-I-S-M-A-R-T. Uh, the child had been physically or sexually abused at home in the year prior to the episode or was afraid of abuse upon return. 21%, that was characteristic of those runaways. 12% uh, of the runaways spent time in a place where criminal activity was known to occur. 11% of the runaways engaged in criminal activity during the course of the episode. So those statistics are not very, very encouraging at all. And in tomorrow's world, we're going to teach families to recapture the true values of keeping the fifth commandment and of family values. The Barna report, uh, Barna update, uh, gave this comment after the Virginia Tech tragedy. And the heading is, Virginia Tech tragedy is a wake-up call to parents, April 23, 2007. George Bar Barna, who did the research and has a whole research group to help him, stated, quote, the animated conversations about gun control, campus security, counseling standards, campus communications, drug abuse, and mental health funding do not address the core issue raised by the event. The situation is not primarily a challenge to politicians, educators, or police. It is a dramatic wake-up call to parents. And he gives all these statistics um, of what our children are exposed to growing up, and I'll share some of those. By the time an American child is 23 years old, as was the killer in Virginia, he will have seen countless murders among the more than 30,000 acts of violence to which he is exposed through television, movies, and video games. By the age of 23, the average American will have viewed thousands of hours of pornographic images which diminish the dignity and value of life. After nearly a quarter of a century on earth, the typical American will have listened to hundreds of hours of music that fosters anger, hatred, disrespect for authority, selfishness, and radical independence. That's the culture in which our children grow up. 
The typical worldview of a person, he writes, in their early 20s promotes self-centeredness. These are qualities or characteristics totally opposite to God's way of life. The typical worldview of a person in their early 20s in the United States promotes self-centeredness, the right to happiness and fulfillment, the importance of personal expression in all forms, the necessity of tolerating aberrant or immoral points of views allows for disrespect of other people and use of profanity and advances forms of generic spirituality that dismiss the validity of the Judeo-Christian faith. Largely propelled by postmodern thought, the typical worldview of young people does not facilitate respect for life, acceptance of the rule of law, or the necessity of hard work, personal sacrifice, paying the dues, or contributing to the common good. Now notice this. Barna noted that only 2% of today's teenagers possess a biblical worldview that acknowledges the existence of God, Satan and sin, the availability of forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ, and the existence of absolute moral principles provided in the Bible. Well, that's incredible. If only 2% of American children have that view, what does that portend for our future? I think we all know Bible prophecy shows what is going to happen to the disintegration to the family and to our society. Just incredible what is happening. Let's turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We all have our responsibilities. And if we fulfill those responsibilities, at least our families, at least our children can be intact as best they can. And we'll see some other comments about that later because we know that we can do the best we can to raise up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians, the sixth chapter and verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So all of us are children. Uh, some of us have deceased parents, as in my case, both my father and mother are deceased. But those of you who do have living parents, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. How do we honor our father and mother? One of the ways is by obeying them, which is not the natural thing that we want to do as children. I've told you the story before how mom said, well, Richard, take out the garbage can. And I said, oh, mom, you know, just very reluctant. And she would say, well, Richard, just smile and say, yes, mom, you know, and you, you do what mom tells you to do and you'll be a happy young boy. And uh, I did that and I became more happy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? Long life. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The biblical values, the whole way of life, as Barna was bringing out, how many of these children growing up have a biblical set of values. Only 2%, he felt, had at least uh, fulfilled the criteria that uh, he had uh, set in his survey. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, one other comment uh, Barna gave in this report 
on a successful parenthood was the spiritual side of life is another of the central factors addressed by successful parents. Quote, these were parents who took the development of their child's worldview seriously and invested enormous amounts of time and energy laying a spiritual foundation that has proven to serve the children well throughout their life. Besides teaching spiritual beliefs and moral principles, these parents shared religious experiences with their children and prayed for them daily. The view of such parents is that their children are a gift from God, and they therefore have an intense responsibility to raise a child that pleased God. Now, as we know, some of our children do go astray. And at the Feast of Tabernacles this year, I met uh, a family, I believe it was, at um, Daytona uh, that had attended the feast 40 years ago and came back for this, their first feast in 40 years. In Paducah, I met another person who said, you know, Mr. Ames, this is my first feast back in 30 years. And so parents who pray for their children still have hope. It may be 10 years, it may be 20 years, but in these cases, 30 or 40 years later, someone has come back to the truth. There's always hope. And here in this case, Barna is saying, uh, these successful parents always prayed for their children. And whether they kept praying for them for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, I'm sure in this case, uh, some, of course, may have their parents deceased, but in this case, they returned to the truth. So what are our Christian responsibilities? Everyone in the family must fulfill his or her God-given responsibilities. The telecast uh, just a few weeks ago on five keys to a successful marriage, I uh, emphasized that point. It isn't up to the husband to make sure that his wife fulfills her responsibilities. It's not up to the wife to make sure that her husband fulfills his responsibilities. God is going to judge each of us individually on our God-given responsibilities as a father, as a mother, as a son, or as a daughter, or even as the extended family and grandparents. And I have a wonderful letter from my grandfather I'll read uh, later on to my cousin. Let's turn to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, Deuteronomy 6. We have responsibilities as parents, and this is such a wonderful instruction. Here is the Shema, as it's called, of honoring God, the first commandment. And then he says in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6, And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. What a privilege it is to share with your children your own experiences, and to share God's true values, and to teach the Bible to them. And of course, we have the old uh, Bible uh, series by Basil Wolverton. We have some in our, our library. I'm sure that uh, with uh, diligent um, accountability, we might uh, be able to loan some of those to you. Uh, but those have been very helpful for the parents to be reading to their cho- little children uh, as they grow up, um, the uh, Bible story. Did uh, any of you have the Bible story read to you when you were children? Look, so quite a, quite a few hands. Um, you could uh, tell me your comments afterwards. That would be uh, very interesting. 
But uh, as Barna was saying, the spiritual side of life is what successful parents teach. One letter came into our office here from Ontario, Canada, and said, uh, I am a 64-year-old mother and a caregiver for my 88-year-old mother. I receive your magazine monthly and enjoy it considerably. I, too, have the Bible study course, but have not had the opportunity or time yet to start it, as my time is pretty full with all the things I have to do in a day, but I hope to get started soon. Uh, she goes on to say, My point in writing this small note is I was reading your January-February edition on letters to the editor, and I was appalled by the letter written by R.G. from Toronto, Ontario. He or she must have had no mention of Christ or any Christian upbringing at all in their life thus far. When I was a small child of six to seven years of age, I went to church twice on Sundays, and I'm glad I did now. After Sunday school, I would go over to the Royal Ontario Museum and look at all the exhibits there. Now I have a great appreciation for just what God's creation consists of. Two weeks ago, I became a great-grandmother, and I marveled all over again just how perfect the Creator is perfect. My mother became a great-grandmother, and a great-great-grandmother, and she's delighted and can't wait for the fifth-generation photo to be taken. I'm also looking forward to it. I now have ten grandchildren and one great-grandchildren. And he says... Uh, she writes, I will pray for R.G. tonight for the Holy Spirit to intervene and take charge of his or her life and show him or her just what miracles God can perform in their lives. So this particular individual was appalled that one of our responders to the Tomorrow's World magazine had uh, no religious inclination and that she was very thankful for the religious background that she had. Well, again, back to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we want to emphasize the individual responsibilities we have as children and as parents. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And uh, here it says, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, just how important is a father to the family? I hope uh, you've all received your... Um, recent Tomorrow's World magazine. Uh, Mr. Rod McNair has an article on here called uh, Fatherless Families? Question uh, mark. And he writes, Millions of families will observe Father's Day this year on June 17th. The United States is one of the several dozen countries that observe this much-beloved holiday on the third Sunday of June each year. Other countries set different dates for Father's Day. India observes it on the first Sunday of June. Several European countries, including Italy, Portugal, and Spain, observe it on March 19th. In Australia and New Zealand, Father's Day falls on the first Sunday of September. As we approach this day when we honor fathers, we should ask, what is the state of fatherhood? Does it have real significance in our society today? And uh, I won't uh, read too much of the article, but it just uh, has a section on here on... Uh, do boys need fathers? And another section here, uh, do girls need fathers? So I hope you all read this, this article. And uh, one particular striking example that uh, Mr. McNair brings out on page 17, Roots of Paternal Conflict. Some years ago, a greeting card company started a special Mother's Day program for federal prison inmates. 
prisoners received a free card, postage paid, to send to their mothers for Mother's Day. The response was overwhelming. The lines were so long, representatives had to return to the factory to get more cards. The program was so successful, the company decided to come back on Father's Day. What happened on Father's Day? Nothing. There were no lines at all. Not a single inmate wanted to send a card to his father. Truly, a loving relationship with a father has a profound effect on one's life, and the lack of an engaged, active father is a strong determining factor in behavior gone awry. And he refers to uh, Dobson's uh, book, Bringing Up Boys, which he quotes <clears throat> earlier in the article. So we can just see just how vital and how important it is that we have fathers and mothers. And in some cases, that's not possible because we have fragmented families. And what can happen then? The church has a role in helping those who come from fragmented families, as we heard in the sermonette. And let's turn to Matthew, the 12th chapter, Matthew 12. Here, Jesus' uh, mother and brothers were sending for him, and they told him, uh, Jesus, uh, your mother and brothers are outside wanting to talk to you. Matthew, the 12th chapter, Matthew 12, starting in verse 46. Matthew 12 and verse 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Quite a shocking statement. And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now it seems amazing that Jesus would say that this is my brother, my sister, and my mother as well. That's the kind of family connection that Jesus saw with the disciples. And I hope that we can apply, of course, the, law, the laws and strategies of loving one another. Our brotherly love can help strengthen other families. And God wants us to view the church body as a family. Let's turn to Mark, the 10th chapter. Mark 10. I remember visiting New York City the first time I attended uh, Passover services. I flew up from Norfolk, Virginia to... Uh, New York, and in those days we had services every day. I stayed in the Diplomat Hotel and just went down the elevator for daily services. But then I came back uh, afterwards, and uh, one of the families visited New York for a Sabbath service, and one of the families was kind enough to invite me, I was a stranger coming in, to stay in their home over in New Jersey. So it wasn't even there right in New York City. And it just impressed me that this is a family. They were willing to take me in and put me up overnight. And I still have great respect for that family, uh, even though they're not in our particular fellowship. Mark, the 10th chapter, verse 28. Then Peter began to say to Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. 
So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one that has left houses, brothers or sisters or family or, or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And I hope that we can provide or be a participate in this particular scripture in providing housing or hospitality, brothers and being brothers and sisters and mothers and children to others. We need to apply the keys for loving one another, which I gave in a sermon a few weeks ago. Uh, seven keys. One was give of your time and share your life. As we love one another, we also help the church family of giving of your physical goods, of expressing compassion and involving yourself emotionally. What is he or she feeling through this experience and being aware of their sensitivities and needs? Pray for one another. Forgive one another. Live by 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and love with a serving attitude. Turn to John, the 15th chapter. John 15. So we can help others in fulfilling the fifth commandment by being a church family that is loving, that is giving, that is sensitive, that is caring, and that is sharing. And of course, Jesus tells us that in John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, Dr. Meredith was emphasizing this in a recent sermon. Greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's giving of your time and giving of your life. I'm very thankful that my parents, even though they both worked when I was a boy, um, that they gave me and my sister a stable home. Uh, Mom always encouraged me in my schoolwork, and uh, I never realized that her encouragement was a positive expectation. She says, well, Richard, I know you'll do good, you'll do well. And I didn't realize that until it was, uh, I think, 1978, and I was giving a Tomorrow's World lecture, it was called, because in the Worldwide Church of God we had a magazine called Tomorrow's World, and we were giving Tomorrow's World lectures, and um, were there for Mr. Turner's hometown in the Jacksonville. I don't know if you were there in 1978, but anyway... Uh, my parents just happened to be visiting from Connecticut, and I, they called me, and I was telling them, well, Mom, I'm uh, giving these lectures here in Jacksonville uh, to uh, an audience for Tomorrow's World subscribers. And she said, uh, Richard, I know you'll do well. And, uh, the light went on. Here I am, you know, an, an older adult, and Mom is still expecting that I am going to do well. And I realized... She'd been doing that to me my whole life, and I didn't realize it until that point. So positive encouragement, positive expectation, positive reinforcement always works. We had, even though they both worked, uh, we had family vacations. I was in a neighborhood with lots of children, and uh, we would go on uh, family vacations, and Dad assigned me to be the navigator, you know, when I was eight or nine years old, so I would look at the map, and we would go up into Vermont and uh, see the old man in the mountain up in New England. An old man in the mountain has since fallen um, down. I'm sorry to hear that. 
but uh, we would uh, travel. And I was given those little responsibilities that united us as a family. Now, God's church has that opportunity with the Feast of Tabernacles and the annual festivals where families can travel together and bond together. But at one point in my life as a young boy, I lost respect for my dad, frankly, because he didn't discipline me when I, he should have. I lost respect for him for not correcting me. But then later, when I was age 25, I read the fifth commandment and said, honor your father and your mother. And I said, uh-oh. <laughs> no, I better start honoring my father, even though I had lost respect for him. We still communicated a lot. But it changed my whole attitude towards my dad. I began to realize that he held an office. Whether I respected him as a person or not, I had to respect the office which he held as my father. And I began to respect that office, and then later, as I respected that office, I began to respect him more as a person. Well, how do we honor our parents? There are many ways, but one is by respecting the office they hold because God tells you to. Turn back to Leviticus, uh, the 19th chapter, Leviticus 19. And here we're told not just to honor, but in the King James Version, to fear. Or as uh, the NIV and others have it, respect. Leviticus 19 and verse 1. Leviticus 19 and verse 1. And the Eternal spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Eternal, your God, am holy. And, of course, Peter repeats that in uh, 1 Peter 1. Verse 3, You shall fear every man his mother, or as in the other translations, respect. You shall respect and revere. The New King James has uh, uh, revere. You shall revere his father and keep my, his mother and keep my Sabbaths. I am the eternal your God. So how do you honor your parents? You need to have that reverence, that respect, that fear, that honor towards that particular office. How else do you show that respect and honor? Well, of course, through your language and communication. In the southern United States, children are taught to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. In other regions, it's yes, dad, or yes, mom. But we show respect by way we honor them. Let's turn to Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, 35th chapter, Jeremiah 35. We also, as I mentioned earlier, honor them by obeying them. Here is the example of the Rechabites. Rechab was a leader of a clan, and he had commanded his children not to Drink wine. Verse 18 of Jeremiah 35. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he has commanded you, therefore thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. Now, you know the story. It was because Jeremiah was warning Judah of an impending captivity because of their disobedience to their heavenly father. 
the Lord, the God of Israel. And uh, he said, Jeremiah, go to uh, the Rechabites and tell them to uh, set wine before them and say, go ahead and drink. (laughs) They said, no, Jeremiah, we're not going to do that because our father commanded us not to. And so God honored their obedience to their father by telling them they shall not want a man to stand before me forever. Now, on the other hand, disobedience brings shame. Let's turn to Proverbs, the 19th chapter. Proverbs, the 19th chapter. We represent our families, and we do not want to bring shame upon the family, the family name. Proverbs 19 and verse 26. He who, in the King James, wastes his father and chases away his mother, or in the New King James, he who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. So we don't want to have that kind of attitude and uh, bring shame upon our family. Now, just over the page, chapter 22, verse 1, says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So your reputation as a child, as a, an adult child, reflects on the family and the family name. One uh, other article that came in, one uh, letter to the editor, titled, uh, commenting on the article we had in Tomorrow's World magazine, Classrooms in Chaos. This article on classrooms and chaos hits the nail on the head. This country that we live in has come to to turn to do their own thing. We as a nation have left God out of our lives. We haven't been obedient to him as we should. So as one parent to another, I think we need to pray more. The issue of children being disrespectful falls back into the parents' hands. Well, the parents have to try to teach the children to be respectful. Uh, They have their own minds and have their own personalities. Turn back to Exodus 21. I know in my particular case, when I was an adult and began to read the Scriptures, it was before I realized that I had the death penalty hanging over me because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, and I didn't think I had the death penalty or wasn't just, I just was no con- wasn't conscious of it. But one day I was reading this scripture, Exodus 21 and verse 15. He that who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And I as a young man, young boy, I should say, had slapped my father. And I thought, whoa! Man, I should be put to death. No, that was just one sin. Let's not count all the other millions of other sins that brought upon me the death penalty. But that really made an impact on me personally. And when you realize the discipline that was employed in the nation of Israel, both governmentally and, and of course, religiously, that there was the case in which a child, a young man, was not obedient to his parents, that parents would take them to the community and say, my son is a disobedient son, and they would stone him to death. So the whole idea of rebellious boys and girls and 
children uh, was very significant in God's eyes. There's obedience, brings blessings, and of course, disobedience brings curses. So we, as our children, want to honor our parents by obedience and, of course, have a good reputation and a good name. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and that reflects upon the family. I know uh, Grandma Meredith used to brag on her grandchildren. said, oh, well, did you know that uh, Jimmy got all A's on his report card? Or did you know that um, Mike uh, won the... uh, 100-meter swimming in the race, and she was always bragging on her her grandchildren. And I hope that we can have that sense of family and support of our family. How else can we honor our parents? One way, of course, is to follow the uh, bumper sticker that goes along the lines of having random acts of uh, kindness. Is it something along that line? Uh, where we think of how can we do random acts of kindness. One of the traditional ways, of course, is greeting cards on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Uh, Dr. and Mrs. Jeff Fall uh, taught their children to design their own greeting cards. And, but some of us may not be as artistic. We may want to purchase greeting cards. But for those children who can, uh, their unique thoughts and designs are just very heartwarming. So I hope you children can design your own cards uh, to honor your father and your own mother. When my uh, mother uh, became 85, five years after her stroke, uh, she still could communicate. She still had, she was emotional at times, but still had a positive attitude. And my brother-in-law would have to play 20 questions with her because her mind was basically intact, but she couldn't communicate. Her speech was affected. And... uh, my brother-in-law would say, well, uh, did you want to send a gift to, uh, yes, yes, yes. And, and uh, so she would be able to uh, figure out through communicating what mom really intended to do, even to send us an anniversary gift, one-time wedding anniversary gift. But I wrote this poem to my mother when she turned 85. I hope I could, I've read this to you before, but I just get a little emotional when I think of it. Mom, you've been so kind to us, your generosity flows. Your courage and cheerful positiveness is something everyone knows. I'll always remember your rocking me when childhood fears came near. You comforted and reassured till I felt calm, secure, and clear. You've helped your husband, children, friends. You gave peace in human relations. At work, at play, in family time, you could teach the United Nations. And now you've reached a milestone great to smile at 85. Honor, joy, and peace to you. You're the greatest mom alive. Anyway, she appreciated that very much uh, when I sent that to you, to her. How else can we honor our parents? Well, we can encourage one another. Hebrews 3, verse 13 uh, is a general exhortation for encouraging one another. Hebrews, the third chapter, and verse 13. Hebrews 3 and verse 13. In the King James it says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called a day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Or as the NASB has in a couple other translations, But encourage one another day after day, 
as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is a law of reinforcement, and it's used in social services, but it is something that's common to, to all of us, I think, whether we realize it or not. Uh, one uh, book years ago that uh, was very helpful to me was, I believe the title was uh, Changing Human Behavior by uh, Debert and Norman. And it emphasized the law of reinforcement. Some of our ambassador students used it working with the handicapped children in Jordan. And the law of reinforcement states that an organic or a living organism will tend to repeat behaviors for which it's rewarded and tend not to repeat behaviors for which it is not rewarded. And, of course, this is applied in helping handicapped children put on a T-shirt, for example, which is a very difficult operation when you come to think of it. How do you put on, I don't even know how I put on a t-shirt, but you actually take the, the neck hole and put it over your head. That would be step one. And then you'd reward the child. And then the next day you'd say step one. And then step two is putting your hand through one of the armholes. I, I think that's how you do it. But, uh, and then, then you reward the child after one and two. And so that law of reinforcement helps to train people. And in the social sphere, and they've done a lot of experiments along this way, but, you know, the common example, because I've seen it in my own life, my wife would, for example, set the table with candles on it, and, and I come home after a long day of work, and I'm shocked that she's gone to all this trouble. And I say, she's got these candles. What are you trying to do, heat up the house? Well, of course, that's not the favorite reaction that she would <laughs> want from me. And it's negative reinforcement to the fact that she'll never do that again. But if I say, honey, oh, you really went to a lot of trouble. Oh, I really, that looks beautiful. Thank you for all that. That's positive reinforcement. She is going to repeat that behavior because I have positively reinforced her. Now, that's just common among all of us. And we need to do that, children. I tell you, children, honor your father and mother. Give them positive reinforcement. If they do any behavior that you like and you want to reinforce, even if it's a positive behavior they do by accident, reward them. Give them positive reinforcement. <laughs> Say, Mom, Dad, I really like the way you uh, made my bed this time. <laughs> no, daughter, you're supposed to do it yourself. Or we give our children positive reinforcement. Turn to Matthew, the third chapter. Matthew, the third chapter. And one uh, professor and, uh, in communications uh, and his colleagues performed an experiment on a college campus. One time they saw this uh, young lady coming across the campus who was rather, in one way of describing it, homely, uh, not uh, very shy and so forth, but they began to positively reinforce her and say, oh, hi, how are you today, Jane? You really look pretty. And uh, they kept giving this positive reinforcement, and over a period of time she changed her behavior. Her dress improved, her hairstyle improved. She went out, uh, you know, uh, dancing, and she became a, a popular date for the uh, fraternities on the campus. And then they did a very cruel thing. Uh, to show their experiment, they began to give positive, I mean negative reinforcement, and began to totally ignore her, and I think maybe even giving negative comments, and her behavior turned back uh, somewhat negatively. So again, God gives us positive reinforcement from the beginning of the Bible to the end. It's blessings for obedience, 
and curses for disobedience in the Bible. But here in Matthew, the third chapter, God expressed, the Father expressed His pleasure and honor towards His Son. Matthew, the third chapter, verse 16. Remember, Jesus was baptized. And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And for parents to ever say that to a child, if they can do it genuinely, is a wonderful positive reinforcement in a way, of course, to encourage honor within the family and love within the family. Turn to uh, Matthew, the 17th chapter. Here, you know, is the vision on the mount at uh, Transfiguration, as it's called, in Matthew, the 17th chapter. And... uh, Jesus was transfigured before them, and they, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah. And verse 4 of Matthew 17, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased Hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. So I hope that we can honor one another and encourage one another genuinely when it's appropriate. What are some of the other ways that we can encourage honor and love in our families and to honor our parents? Well, one of the physical ways, and you've heard it many times, but it's still a truism. And that is hugging. There have been classical studies that have been done where children in a hospital whose mothers were no longer mothering or were not available uh, were overseen by nurses. And the classic story was of these group of babies that were not ever picked up or touched, that they were despondent and actually later died. And uh, I don't have that classic uh, research with me, but uh, I think some of you have even heard of that before. In uh, this one particular article years ago, one of the uh, studies at Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago, uh, his name is uh, Greg Reisberg, said this. He said it has been clinically proven that touching reduces blood pressure and increases hemoglobin and oxygen in the blood, resulting in a greater sense of well-being. Touching is a vital need in every human's life. Studies have shown that infants who are not touched give up on life or do not fully develop. Uh, He says, we in the healthcare business have to stop looking at patients as the gallbladder down the hall and see them as people, he said. Uh, the title is Hugs, We Can't Get Enough of Them. And I, I know from personal experience that I can be tense, and then I hug my wife, and I can just feel the tension just dissipate. And uh, we need to hug our children. Children need to hug their parents. And, uh, well, there are many other stories along that line. I'll have to, because of time, uh, share that some other time. Uh, the BBC News, August 8, 2005, How Hugs Can Aid women's hearts. 
A team from the University of North Carolina studied the effects of hugging on both partners in 38 couples. The study showed hugs increased levels of oxytocin, a bonding hormone, and reduced blood pressure, which cuts the risk of heart disease. By writing in the Psychosomatic Medicine, the researchers said women recorded greater reductions in blood pressure than men after their hugs. But I know it works for me, and I hope uh, uh, it'll work for many others of you. Children are very valuable, and we have sang the, the song that children are a gift of God. But you know how much they cost? The U.S. News and World Report, and this is outdated, this is uh, March 30, 1998, um, nine years ago, the real cost of raising kids. Would you believe it's $1,455,581 apiece? And they give you, if you want to see this, it has the chart afterwards. Part of their assumptions, however, and I think that's a, a problem with them, is from lost wages. In other words, if the mother is not working, then the wages are lost. So they have a false criterion in their calculations. But nonetheless, um, threads to clothe a child to age 18 cost $22,063. And yes, girls cost 18% more than boys. So <clears throat> while this was uh, back in 1998, uh, probably take away the false assumption of lost wages, and you're still up about $1.4 million to raise one child. So that's uh, how precious they are from one point of view and costly in another. Now, how else can we honor our parents? Let's turn to Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, Proverbs 23. We can honor our parents by listening to them. And, of course, it's two ways. Uh, Mr. Partian was recently talking about communication and words, and we need to be able to listen to someone and focus on that person. I know one uh, ambassador student years ago when we were talking about the issues of family and parent-child relationships, uh, this girl said, you know, what hurt me the most was my father or mother, I forget which, looking at me, and appearing to listen to what I was saying, but didn't hear what I was saying. In other words, it was just like I was going in one ear and out the other, and not trying to comprehend or perceive my needs as a, a young daughter. And so it's very important that both parents and children learn to listen and focus. And I know my wife used to... Uh, helped me uh, years ago when I would be in a social group and someone would be talking to me and I would be looking all around the room. And it's just, look, you need to look at the person talking to you. So that was, that was very helpful. Of course, I was trying to be sure that others in the congregation were being served and not neglected. But at the same time, I was neglecting the person talking to me. So that's been helpful. Numbers, uh, sorry, Proverbs 23 and uh, verse 22. Listen unto your father, hearken unto your father that begat you, and despise not your mother when she is old. One way of honoring your parents is to take advice from them, to extract wisdom from them. And the whole book of Proverbs, of course, begins that way. When you look back the first few chapters, 
Solomon was the son of King David, and King David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon learned quite a bit of wisdom and knowledge from his father David, but God, of course, gave Solomon extra, the extra gift of wisdom. But when you take a look at chapter 2, it's my son. If you will receive my words and hide my commandments. And chapter 3, my son, forget not my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Then chapter 4, hear you children the instruction of a father, attend to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine, forsake not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. So when we think of the book of Proverbs, we can think of wisdom that our Heavenly Father gives us, just as well as our physical parents and the wisdom that they can share with us from their long experience. And as we already saw, conduct is important, and uh, the way we reflect on our reputation, a good name is rather to be chosen than great, great riches. One other aspect of uh, honoring our parents is a, a future resource, and uh, it will be printed... Uh, in another few weeks, and that's the semi-annual offer this year, the booklet by Dr. Jeffrey Fall entitled Successful Parenting God's Way. So I hope that all of you will use that as a resource when it comes out. As he says in that booklet, quote, we understand that not every child reared in God's church will, quote, catch the vision, end of quote, and develop in God's image. But it is a given that our efforts will have a foundation on which they can rely, whether in this life or in God's kingdom. I think it's a very good quote that gives hope to those parents whose children are not in God's church, but yet there is a future hope if you've laid the foundation for them. Now we know that we have the physical family, but we also need to honor our Heavenly Father and the Ten Commandment booklet, of course, is a resource for all of the commandments, and I found that to be extremely helpful to me personally, inspiring. And uh, along with the Fifth Commandment sermon that we're hearing today, I hope that you will get the Ten Commandment booklet out and read the section on the Fifth Commandment. Mr. Uh, Meredith uh, says this in introduction to the Fifth Commandment. The first four commandments define man's relationship with God. They teach us the magnitude of God's power and name and exhort us to remember him as creator of all that is. The fifth commandment is placed first among those that govern our human relationships. It is not only chief in importance among these when we understand its full meaning, but it acts as a bridge between the two sections of God's law. For true obedience to the fifth commandment is inevitably linked with obedience and honor to God himself. <clears throat> to turn to 1 John, the third chapter, 1 John 3. We have a comfort and assurance that few people on the earth may have because we do have a spiritual father who has all the power and omnipotence and glory in the universe. He's the creator. He's the lawgiver. He's the life giver. He's the sustainer and the designer and the one who fulfills prophecy. He's the one who answers prayers. He's the one who rules 
supremely, and he's the great educator, and he is the father of lights, but he's also our father. And as Mr. Pyle quoted in uh, the sermonette, Ephesians 3.15, that God is the father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Here in 1 John 3, we see what the honor, the honor that has been bestowed upon us Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Just the fact that God calls us His children should be totally reassuring, totally comforting, because He's got all the power in the universe. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall, He shall appear, we shall be like Him. We will have His form, His shape. We shall have His nature. For we shall see Him as He is. And every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself, even as He, God, is pure. And so Jesus taught us to pray in the outline prayer, the model prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. So He is our Father. And when you understand that, it should give you comfort it should give you reassurance. It should give you faith and happiness, frankly. Realize that your Father in heaven has all that power and greatness. As it says in Isaiah 26.3, I won't turn there, but you will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. So consider the honor and love that God gives us. And as you focus on God's throne, you can have the hope and comfort and assurance. Now, just in passing, I'll mention uh, Galatians 4, verse 26. I think it's a section that Dr. Meredith can uh, expound on sometime in the future. But Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. We are a part of a spiritual kingdom. We are citizens of that kingdom. And we will have the name of the new Jerusalem, as it says in Revelation, the third chapter. We will inherit the new Jerusalem. We will be living in the new Jerusalem when it comes down from God out of heaven. <clears throat> so we have that awesome privilege that God is our Father and we are His children. As it says in 1 Corinthians 16, isn't it? That we are sons and daughters of the Almighty. Okay, let me just do my own Bible study here and check on that. No, it's uh, no, that's not the reference. Anyway, um, some of you will help me find it later on. But we have that privilege that we are the sons and daughters of the Almighty. Why should we love God? He tells us to love Him. Well, he gives us physical and spiritual life. He's begotten us with the word of truth, as it tells us in James 1. In verse 18, He sacrificed His sons for us. He's given us His promises. Second Peter 1, verse 4. Let's turn to Luke 11, verse 13. Luke 11, and verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? So God is willing to give you the Holy Spirit. He knows, well, parents, if they have natural affection, they will give good gifts to their children. 
But God will give us good things, it says in the parallel account, or the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And you can't ask for anything greater than the Holy Spirit. God gives us that power. Now, why else should we love God? Well, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the correction with love chapter, because he demonstrates his love towards us by correcting us and by guiding us. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, starting with verse 4. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children. My son, despise not you the chastening of the Lord, nor faint. Don't be discouraged when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Scourging is not pleasant. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chastens not? So Christ is the head of the church. God gives us correction. He gives us loving correction. And we have to discipline our children as well. And we understand that when we were growing up, we were disciplined, we were corrected. I should have been disciplined more than I was, but I I was disciplined and learned some very lasting lessons from that discipline. We received a letter a long time ago from a woman in North Surrey, B.C., She's talking about a child that was not corrected. This calls to mind an experience of two little boys who ran away from home and were not found until early evening, playing of all places in the train yards. One boy's mother spanked him severely and told him he might have been killed. He never went back. The other boy's mother never even reproached him, but said she was glad he was safe. He went back the next day and was killed. What a contrast between a kind of loving discipline versus a kind of assuming love, but actual neglect that led to the boy's death. God corrects every son that he loves. We are involved in an Elijah-like work. Mr. Armstrong emphasized the kingdom of God and the family in which we're to be born. And he did an Elijah-like work in restoring truth to the body of Christ. But we also need to be a part of Malachi, the fourth chapter, in turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, as it says in verse 6 of Malachi 4. We have a family mission to preach the gospel. We have a responsibility to help the spiritual family as well as physical families to be strong to live with biblical values, to keep the fifth commandment and all of the commandments. What other way is there that we can honor our father, our physical father and mother, as well as our spiritual father? What if both parents are deceased? Or supposing that you have been ostracized by your parents, can you still honor them? Well, of course you can. You honor them by being a successful Christian. You honor them by honoring your spiritual father in heaven. You honor them by applying the seven laws of success. And I know when my dad and mom were disappointed in me because I went to Ambassador College after being a successful transportation engineer, and uh, I know a long time they 
I, I had some money to uh, get by with going to college, but I had enough uh, festival ties so I could date my wife. But then after that, I ran out of money as a freshman. and I didn't even have money for uh, razor blades. In those days, I used the Wilkinson sword blade and told Mom way back in Connecticut, Mom, I need some razor blades. And she mailed me some razor blades in the, in the envelope, so she was still kind to me. And even though she, uh, I disappointed them uh, at that point in time, uh, when I graduated in 1965 and my parents came out, they were not there for our wedding in 1964, but when they came out, I was surprised. One thing Dad said about me, he said, you know, uh, Dick, at least Dick always wrote postcards. So that was a real compliment as far as I was concerned. I tried to communicate with my parents, even though they were no, not so happy with my choice of going to Ambassador College at that time. And later on, of course, our relationship improved over a period of time. But you can honor your parents by being a successful person. As we heard in the sermonette, we want to be in the white throne judgment to be there for them. We need to help one another and to develop our love and kindness and care for one another. There was this movie, uh, Field of Dreams, I think it was, because I know as a boy I always uh, wanted to my dad to uh, take time with me, and we did. But one of the things we did, just playing catch. The simple thing is throwing the ball, you know, catching it. And when I saw the Field of Dreams movie, it's, uh, of course, kind of a, a, a fantasy story about the was it the Chicago White Sox coming back and being resurrected? Build it, and they will come. You know, this is Iowa, the great uh, heaven of the future. But nonetheless, <laughs> the, uh, here the, the son sees his father, his deceased father is coming, and they start playing catch. And, oh, I, tears came down my eyes. I thought, oh, well, how great it's going to be when my dad is resurrected in the white throne judgment, and we play catch once again. But... I have to make sure that I'm there and that in the meantime, since his decease, I have honored him and my mother in whatever way I can. God has given us a family mission to preach the gospel. You know, we must contribute to one another's families. This successory some of you are aware of called priorities, how we can help one another. A beautiful picture of a, a boy, you know, standing on a, Bank here with his uh, red shirt and blue jeans, hands in his back pocket, just looking at the lake and the pond. And it says, A hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove. But the world may be different because I was important in the life of a child. We all have to contribute to family growth and development. God is creating a loving family. And what a privilege it is to be in God's church with loving brothers and sisters, uh, you know, all over the world, and in a sense, mothers and fathers and children as well. The royal family is coming to this earth, and we'll be a part of that with the Father and the Son, and we will be kings and priests and the bride of Christ. We are privileged to be God's children. He continually bestows upon us His love. We're learning to love one another. We have a long way to go. We're learning to honor our father and mother more lovingly. So let's all, let's all fulfill our responsibilities in loving one another 
in honoring our families, our parents, our spiritual family, the church around the world. And most importantly, let's honor our Father in heaven, the new Jerusalem, the mother of us all, and our Savior in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for his commandment, honor your father and your mother.